Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? You doing good? Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking on our fifth message here on, the cha- on our series in he- on concerning heaven, talking about heaven. And so go ahead and let's bow our heads for a moment and just pray that the Lord open our hearts. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, I pray you would open our hearts now to speak to us, even if it's just that one thing, Lord, that we can be thinking about, we can be fed by, and we can grow spiritually in as we talk about our future heavenly home, heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start, today we're talking about the crowns of heaven, and I want to start off just by showing uh, when we have sports or athletic competitions, we don't actually crown people, we give them something that's called a trophy right and so i want to just test you a little bit and see if you know some of our national trophies just to kind of introduce the topic here so the first one here and this may be probably the easiest or second easiest one but let's go to the next slide real quick what is the highest trophy for the nfl highest trophy vince lombardi trophy all right bonus question why do they call it the vince lombardi trophy he won the first Super Bowl. So he won the first Super Bowl. And unfortunately, our Los Angeles Rams could not do it last year, but this was uh, one of the most recent photos. And that's, you know, they get that nice uh, little shiny trophy. You know, for all, I mean, for all I know, it's made of plastic, but it's, you know, it's a nice shiny little trophy. All right, let's go to the next one. What is the highest trophy for the Major League Baseball? I, 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 you were here last service. Shh. You were. You're not supposed to admit that in church. <laughs> Survey said the commissioner's trophy. Go ahead and put that up. I like this trophy because it has each of the pennants for all of the major league baseball teams in the trophy, and so I think that's that's one I would put on my desk. Uh, I really like that one. And so let's go ahead and go to the next one. This one is probably the toughest. Most people do not know the name of this trophy. Of course, we have a California team right now trying to uh, win this trophy. It, they, it, it's Tough Road's best of seven series. They're down three to one, the Golden State Warriors, and against the first Canadian basketball team, the Toronto Raptors, to, to uh, yeah, I, 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 who said that? Uh, I, 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 I. What, anybody know what the highest trophy for the NBA is called? Anybody? I didn't know it either, so I, I, you know. It's called the Larry O'Brien Trophy. How many of you would have even guessed that? I, that's what I thought when I saw that. I was like, I would not have even guessed that. If that was a Jeopardy question, I'd have been done. Uh, but that, that's, the, that's the trophy there. And then last but not least, this may be the easiest one, Stanley Cup. And you can see... How big the cup is. Now, what's the, what's the cool thing about the Stanley Cup? What's happening to it? It is only getting bigger, right? It's only getting bigger. They're adding uh, rings to it. So you can see, I mean, this is, you know, that's, that's a big dude. He's got a big wingspan, and that's, how, that's probably the biggest of all of the cups. Uh, <coughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, and in fact, is it over yet now, or is it still going? Game six, okay, so... Uh, so we'll see. We've got the NBA Finals and the NHL. We'll see what happens. But anyway, next slide here. For the purpose of our study this morning, for the writers of the New Testament, the standard symbol of athletic accomplishment was the olive wreath, right? 
and the olive wreath would be placed upon the crown of the head of the athlete or the competitor who won the race. And uh, back in the New Testament days, it was largely things like racing, and uh, they had a couple of other things. It, it was they did have uh, sports and games. I think a lot of people think that you know, two thousand years ago, they just didn't. All they did was go out and farm all day. That's not true at all. Uh, they did. <laughs> there, there are some books in seminary that some of my most fascinating books were like daily life in biblical times. And they did have all of this kind of stuff. And of course, they had the Olympics, which were sort of the, 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 the big thing there. And, and they, would, they would crown you with an olive leaf, an uh, olive branch wreath. And that would be sort of uh, saying that you are the champion. This is you are crowned champion for you know this event or for this race or for whatever whatever. well the new testament borrows the sense of crowns as a metaphor and it promises four crowns for those follower of christ who make it their whole life and when you finally die and enter heaven uh it says that heaven has crowns or is going to crown you with these four crowns and the first crown is called the crown of life the crown of life. It's mentioned in James chapter 1, verse 12 and Revelation 2.10. Here we read in James chapter 1, verse 12, says, blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. This letter is being written to uh, followers of Jesus who are about to suffer. He says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil's going to put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's this crown of life. And I want you to notice two important phrases in both of these verses. The man who perseveres under trial and being faithful even to the point of death. Following God is not about our mood-swinging emotions. All right? That's what not following God is all about, right? Not following God is you're swayed by your feelings and you're swayed by your appetites and you're swayed by all of these things and there's a lot of people who are like, I just can't control myself. Well, it's because you're being swayed by all of these forces that you don't understand a lot about. That is not following God. Following God is much more about endurance and perseverance rather than the shifting moods of emotion. Paul likened it to a race. In a race, it does not matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Some of you here, you may say, man, my life had a crummy start. I got a bad portion. I got a bad deal. I was born into a low station. I I had a crummy start in life. God says, you know what? We can heal how you started and we can have you cross the finish line victorious, healed, holding your head up high. That is the blessing of the crown of life. It doesn't matter how you started. It matters how you finish. I think sometimes of the hardships that we face, some of the hardship I face. You know, there's times where I've gone door to door, and I'll have people cuss me out and slam the door in my face. That's it's kind of hurtful. I don't take it too hard because rejection from people I don't know, I don't know, all my life I've just kind of never 
cared about that. And it never bothers me. If somebody doesn't know me and they're like, get out of here, I don't like you. Okay, whatever. They don't even know me. It's when people know me that I can. Anyway, you know, you know I, I think of all, you know, I've had to go through some minor things. You know, when I was working out in the marketplace, you know, you, you tell people you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. You, know, you, you start trying to share your faith. Don't share your faith. Are you a Bible thumper? You know, we go through all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that can feel a little bit awkward. But then I think about those Christians in Iraq. Christians who are being beheaded because they're not renouncing Jesus. People who are being sold into slave, sex slavery. You know, people who are being crucified because they will not renounce. They are being faithful unto death. And I think to myself, I'm a little worried about what some yo-yo says in the office. I'm a little worried about what some yuck-yuck says in the field. I mean, come on, you know. That is quite small compared to some of the tests that our brothers and sisters around the world are facing every day. One of the greatest examples comes from the movie, uh, when I, I remember about a month ago, maybe it was about two months ago now, I was sick on a Sunday and I couldn't make it. And uh, one of the things they do on Sundays is, is they seem to run movie marathons. And so I saw the movie Rocky. Now here's a funny thing I gotta admit. I thought Rocky was made in the 80s. Because I am a child of the 80s. I wasn't born in the 80s, but that's kind of what I remember, right? And so I remember that in the Rocky movies, right, Rocky always wins. And so and I was telling my kids, I said, you know, the one thing that I always struggle with the Rocky movies is Rocky always wins. Well, here's the thing. I thought that Rocky 2 was Rocky 1. I thought that was the first Rocky movie. We're going through the thing, and I see Rocky Two, and I'm watching it. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is—they got it wrong. I almost wanted to call up the television people and say, "You got the title wrong because this was Rocky One, and it's the best one. It's—it's it's where it's the last punch, and they both go down to the floor, and they're climbing up the ropes, and Rocky's the last one to get up, and he's—he wins." I found out there was a Rocky before that. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? But it was made before I was born. So, I mean, come on. You know. <laughs> there was a Rocky one. And so I, I, I'm like, I must see that. I've never seen it. I must see it. And so as I'm watching it, I watched the whole movie, and I, I thought to myself, how did this movie get a sequel? Rocky loses in Rocky one. Anybody ever see the movie? Rocky loses. In, it's the only one he, lo he loses in Rocky one. But I realized that wasn't the point of the movie. Somewhere right before the end, he says, you know what? I know I can't beat him. My goal isn't to beat him. Nobody has gone 15 rounds with Apollo Creed before, and I am going to be that guy. It wasn't about winning the fight. It was about not quitting. And I think that sums up the crown of life right there. Sometimes you're not sure if you won or lost the battles. You're not sure. You can't always look back in your life and, and see the impact, whether you made an impact or not. Don't worry about that. The crown of life doesn't go to those who have the best report card. The crown of life goes to those who didn't quit. Amen? Number two. The crown of righteousness. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This crown is not about our righteousness. It's about Jesus' righteousness that he will place on us when we trust our eternal soul with him. When we trust our eternal soul with Jesus, he forgives our sin and he places his righteousness over us so that we can go into heaven because to go into heaven, you have to be righteous. Jesus covers us with his righteousness. I'll give you an example of this. In, in the last church I was at, they had, uh, after service, they had this little prayer room off to the side. It, it was a ginormous church. They had a little prayer room off to the side. And afterward, people could go in there and get prayer. And our senior pastor assigned a pastor each, for each service. And, uh, it, I didn't do it every service. I didn't do it every Sunday. But when you were assigned, you were assigned. You had to be there. And so I was in there, and I was waiting. And this guy comes in, and I know this guy. He's one of the dads of the youth group that I was pastoring at the time. I was a youth pastor. And he was one of the dads, and I, I kind of already knew the story. He was, you know, was kind of failing in his marriage, abusive in his family, cheating people on the job. He was struggling with drugs and alcohol. I mean, the guy was just a real mess. And uh, I remember when we went to pray, as we were getting, you know, he was kind of telling me all this, and we were getting ready to pray, I began to hear like a word for, from God for this guy. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's good. Oh, this, he is going to think I am the most amazing pastor ever. You know, I mean, this is like, you know how sometimes people are talking, but in your mind, you're kind of waiting for them to finish because you got something so awesome to share. And you're just kind of, uh-huh, oh, yeah, uh-huh. Let me, let me speak, you know. You just want to say it. Well, I was doing that when all of a sudden, as he's just about to end, he says, you know what? I know I'm a believer, but I, I just know that I'm not saved anymore. And I, I was about to go, I was about to launch into this great pastoral speech. And just as I was dead, I felt like the Holy Spirit just shut my mouth and went, oh. and I heard that. And I went, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait. And my heart kind of changed for him. I said, you know what, listen, man. Uh, God may not like the lifestyle you're living right now, and God may not be too happy with his, your choices, but he is the one who died for you. He is the one who went to the cross for your sins. He is the one who saved you. And yes, he's not happy with the way you're living your lifestyle, but your entrance is into heaven is not based on your morality. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. And then I was like, good, got that over with. Now let me get on with my nice pastoral speech. And I'm st just starting to start it when all of a sudden the dude just breaks down and starts crying. And, 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 and at first I was like, no, you missed the best part. I have something great to say. But he just starts crying. And I could see that the grace of God was changing him. He said, you know, Pastor, you said something. It really hit me. I know that God is not happy with the way I'm living my life. And yet he still doesn't hurt me. He allows me to be in this. He said, but if I were to be honest, I'm not very happy in my life either. I'm just trying to fill it with things I think will make me happy. But I'm not very happy. And so we just, I, you know, I grabbed his hand. We just held hands and. I prayed for him, and he just started crying, and 
grace changed him. The grace of God changed him. I mean, it was a miracle. I don't know how you get a person from being the kind of person he was. I could just see it. It was just like stuff was just flying off of him. And, and, and all of a sudden, his sort of arrogant, cocky attitude became this joyful release of freedom. And then we said amen, and he left. And I remember as he was leaving, I was like, oh, but wait. I have this great pastoral thing to tell you. Wait. <laughs> but the moment was gone. You know what I'm saying? The interesting thing is the man, God changed him. The man changed his life. He healed things with his marriage. He got off, off the drugs and alcohol. He even quit his job. He got a new job, and he moved to another town. I didn't see him until out of the blue, about two years later, he calls me. And he calls me just to tell me that he, he's still doing good. He's growing in the spirit. He's, he, you know, he's just, he's happier and healthier than he's ever been. And I said, you know, I said, I, I, there's something I have wanted to tell you for like two years. And it is great. This is like pastoral gold, all right? So just sit back. I am about to bless your socks with what I was originally going to tell you that day we met in the prayer room. So I start telling him, you know, I'm getting all excited. I'm trying to really animate it, you know. And I finally stop, and, and I kind of wait at the other end of the line. There's a little bit of a pause. And I'm expecting to hear, wow, that was amazing. All of a sudden I hear, Wow. Yeah, I really see why God interrupted you that day. I was like, what? What? <laughs> True story. That, was, that guy made me laugh more that day than I've laughed in a while. Number three, the crown of glory. The crown of glory is reserved for shepherds in the church. We read in 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. If you read the context of this verse, it's very much addressed to the elders and leaders of the church. The pastors, the, the women's pastors, the kids' pastors, you know, the, the elders and, and all that. It's really addressed to them. In fact, this crown is often referred to as the pastor's crown. However, if you really read the context, there's also the implication that those who love the pastors that those who support the pastors may also receive this crown pastors are certainly to be faithful to the lord but every follower of jesus is called to be under the leadership of a human shepherd let me say it again every follower of jesus is called to be under the leadership of a human shepherd and to love and support that shepherd a pastor who follows the Lord faithfully will be honored, but believers who honor the pastors and follow their leadership will also receive it. Now, let me be honest. Pastors are not perfect. This week has been a rough week for me, and I have been reminded of my imperfections. We are fleshy and feely and all those other things that we are not inoculated from any of that. It may not seem like it here because... This isn't the place where I air my dirty laundry, but believe me, there are moments, there are days where I'm just going nuts, just trying to hang on to God like the rest of us. So I can tell you this right now, I can speak for me. I need all the love and support you can give. But I also speak for everybody else who steps out in leadership in any of the churches around the world. They need your support and leadership too. They need it. 
because the enemy would like to do nothing but pick off a shepherd so he can scatter the sheep. And so I make the appeal for all of us who have answered that call. Love and support. How can you support me? I like steak. <laughs> NFL tickets are always a plus. Comedy shows. Uh, I'm just kidding. I think you know what I mean. Uh, you know, the crown of glory is not just for those who preach the word, but for those who love and support the preachers of the word. Amen. Number four, the crown of rejoicing, final crown here, is really a lot like the last one, like, like the crown of glory. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope, what is our joy, what is our crown of rejoicing in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? This is the crown of people, the crown of the people that you impacted, the crown of the people that you prayed for, the crown of the people that you shared your faith with, the crown of the people that you made a difference in. This is the crown of rejoicing. It's kind of like what I like to call the crown of the 5%. Because only 5% of Christians will share their faith with another person. 95% will not and believe it is rude to do so. After all, in America, we don't talk about politics and religion. But I would tell you this. I think a lot of you and a lot of people, we agree that it is good. to. I mean, it's good news. It's great news. Why would we not want to share that kind of news with the people around us? I think for a lot of us, the reason we don't share is not because we think it's rude. It's because we simply don't know how, and we don't want to screw it up. When, we sh when you go to share your faith with others, you don't have to start with the finer points of theology. In fact, I probably wouldn't if I were you. Where do you start? You start with your story. What has God done in your life? What has Jesus done in your past? What are you trusting him to do in your future? How has God affected your walk today? It's the gospel as it impacted you. It's the gospel according to you. It's a gospel as it has worked out in your own life. I was not always a Christian. And I had those Bible thumpers coming up to me, you're going to hell! And I would just be like, say that one more time, please. Say it one more time, you know? You don't start there. That's insulting. One day, I had someone just very calmly, very casually, say, hey, actually, I go to church. You do? Yeah. Why? Well, God's got me through some things. And uh, I'm trusting, trusting him for some things in the future. You believe in God? Yeah. I really think there's a God. Don't look at the trees and think they just happen. I don't look at human beings and think they say, I think we were created. I think God created us. I remember walking home that day. Wow, there are people who really believe this stuff. Wow, this I got to really think about this. I mean, it just opened my mind. I mean, I just, we had conversation after conversation after conversation. Why? Because he shared his story. And after I gleaned the blessing of that story, I was able to turn it into saving faith, or God was able to turn it into saving faith for myself. That's the four crowns. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of rejoicing. Now, let's talk about some take-home points, and then we'll all go home. Number one, protect your crowns. Protect your crowns. Revelation chapter 3 says, hold on to what you have so that no one 
will take your crowns. Throughout life, there will always be someone or something trying to take your crown. People start talking about you. People start trying to make you look bad. People try to keep you down. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to steal your crown. And here is my advice. Don't let them. Don't let them. When the thoughts begin to come to you to tell you that you're not enough, you'll never be enough, you got this, you got that, you're not good at this, you're too this, you're too that, and all of these thoughts will come. You just need to say, no thanks, you're not taking my crown. 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 I have a crown on for me, and I am not going to lose it to you. No thanks. For I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't control my destiny. You don't determine my value. You didn't breathe life into me. God is the one who breathed life into me. And God calls me his masterpiece. So I don't care what you call me. You will not steal my crown. Amen? Protect your crown. Number two, turn your scars into crowns. Remember when I said that the crown of life goes to the man or woman who perseveres under trial? These crowns often come from the scars of our own suffering. When you're going through something and you don't, <laughs> you're not sure how it's going to come out the other end, but you commit to stubbornly endure, keep God first. There's a story, if you've ever read the Iliad it was standard reading for public schools in the 80s. I don't know if they read it anymore, but the Iliad is Homer's famous story about the Trojan War, the Trojan horse. And you've got all the intrigues of a story, right? You've got the beautiful Princess Helen, the Prince Paris of Troy who kidnaps Helen of Greece, and Menelaus, the Spartan king, and Agamemnon, and Achilles, and all this. It's got all of them in there. But Homer gives the backstory of Helen, which is very interesting. Because Helen was kidnapped twice in her life. The first time she was kidnapped as a young princess. Eventually the kidnappers tired of her, so they sent her out to the streets. And she lived on the streets as a prostitute and, and many other things and just trying to survive. Well, one day uh, one of the nobles of Greece recognized her. And said, you're Helen, you're a princess. And after having to convince her of who she was, he rose her up and restored her to her noble glory. Now in that day and age, you were, it was a high honor for the king to give you in marriage to either another king or another nobleman. It's just how it worked. And, and that would have been a high honor for her. A disgrace for a princess of that era would be to not be given in marriage to anybody that was essentially the whole country saying you're not worth anything well, here comes helen broken beaten used a shadow of the beautiful woman she once was and she has healed scars on her face from when the men beat her so she has these scars on her face. Still pretty, but she has these scars on her face. 
she approaches King Agamemnon, and Agamemnon says, now how can I, give me a reason why I should give you away to one of the Greek nobles. Why should I give you away to Menelaus, the king of Sparta? Give me a reason. How am I going to marry you off, Helen? Look at you. You got all scars on your face. Helen stepped forward and looked at the king. Said, do what you want. These scars are my crown. These scars are my crown. And it's the same for us. Anything you've had to endure, anything you've had to overcome, any pain you are currently going through, but you're hanging on to God and not letting go. Any confusion that you don't have every answer to, but you're still willing to walk by faith and not by sight. Those scars, they are your crowns. Agamemnon was so impressed with the answer, he called up the second highest king in Greece, the king of Sparta, Menelaus, and gives Helen to him. And of course, after Menelaus heard the story, he wanted nothing but Helen. Of course, that's in the beginning of the book. We know through the middle and the end of the book that Paris of Troy uh, comes and kidnaps Helen, and then you know they all go over and have this big war on the Trojan horse and everything, and that's the Iliad. point I want you to take home this morning is Turn your scars into crowns and don't let anybody take them from you. Number three, prepare to give what God has given to you. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And the elders fell down who sits before him on the throne. That's Jesus. They worshiped him forever and ever, and they laid their crowns before the throne. All of us will be given these crowns. And these are four that we know of. Who knows, maybe there's 44 more out there somewhere. And there's all these crowns, there's these awards that God will give us for the life we live here on earth. What does Revelation chapter 4 say? The greatest moment of our lives won't be when we receive the crowns. The greatest moment will be where we can lay these crowns at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because of point number four. Receive the highest crown. I don't even know if I worded this right. But there is another crown we haven't talked about this morning, but we need to. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he carried with him forever in his body the wounds of the cross, right? He said to Thomas, put your finger right here where the nail was. And Thomas did. Put it right here where the other nail was. Put it here where the spear went. And I'm sure if they'd have asked, he'd have taken off his shoes and said, you want to put your hands through my feet as well? But there's another scar that we will see throughout all eternity. It's one that you'll see scar marks all across the brow of his head and going around his head completely. You see, while we get the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness. Jesus got the crown of thorns. Jesus took the crown we should have gotten and he took it for himself so that we'll never have to get it. And as they dug those thorns into his head, it scarred up his skin, made his blood 
spatter out. And that was the crown he chose to wear throughout all eternity. Oh, we can wear our crowns with all the jewels and all the gold, but they're going to be nothing when you see all the scar marks on Jesus' forehead and you realize he took the crown of thorns for me. He wore that crown for me, the crown I was supposed to wear, he wore it. Why? Because Jesus knows what a crown is for. A crown is meant to serve the people, not people for the crown. And in doing so, he forgave us and set us free and allowed us to receive the crowns that bring us into heaven. Amen? Amen.